Well, good morning, Cornerstone Church. It is good to see you. Merry Christmas. I hope that you are in the Christmas season or Christmas spirit here. We are going to continue our Christmas sermon series called the Christmas Playlist, and we're looking at some of the uh, famous and familiar Christmas hymns of this season. And so I don't know if you are struck like I am at seasons like this sometimes by the simplicity, but also the significance of these songs But very often, I am struck by this. And I'm actually going to tell you a story about that. But if you would, join me in Luke chapter 2. That's where the Christmas hymn that we're going to consider today actually comes from, the story of Luke chapter 2. I remember being struck by the significance of Christmas hymns um, while I was a part of a church planting team that was working just north of New York City. Um, while we were there, um, we were there at Christmas time. It was the month of December, and uh, one of the things that we were doing is just trying to get the word out for this brand new church plant. We were inviting people to their Christmas Eve services, and so they had um, kind of service projects we were doing throughout the community. We were serving out hot chocolate, handing out flyers to their events that were coming up. But one thing that I wasn't aware of when I booked the trip and, and led this mission trip, and pastors sometimes do that to you. Do you know that? Sometimes they don't tell you the whole truth until you're in it. And so that was us. Um, we were in this moment, and they said, hey, um, we're, we need you guys to go Christmas caroling with us, your team. And so there are about eight or ten of us um, that were there. And so they gave us a songbook and, uh, and said, all right, here we go. We're going to go caroling. And so they had actually picked out a place that we were going to go. And so we went into this building. Uh, we heard that it was a nursing home that we were going to. And not like you're thinking of like a retirement home or something like that, maybe in our area. It, it, it's in New York City. So you go to this kind of building and you go up to like the 17th floor. And the 17th floor is like a nursing home. You're like, this is crazy. But beyond that craziness, as the doors open up, we step in and we soon realize that this is a Jewish nursing home. Did I tell you that we were there to sing Christmas carols? And so we go up to whatever it was, the 17th floor, and they get all of the folks on that floor out into this main room. And here we are, this horrible sounding choir, by the way, um, up here to sing these Christmas songs. And so as we open up our book and we're singing familiar Christmas songs, some of them we even sang today. And it was a little bit amusing to me, to be completely honest. We're sitting here singing these. I'm looking out at these folks, some of them sitting on their own, some of them in wheelchairs. Um, Some of them want to be there, I'm assuming. A lot of them don't. And we're sitting here singing these songs over them. And it was amusing to me. I was like, oh my goodness, here we are singing about Jesus, the Messiah, who has come, the Savior of the world, to this largely Jewish audience. And I don't know at what point of what song and maybe even what stanza, but there is a, there is a switch in my brain. As we were singing these songs, I was watching folks familiar with these songs, singing these songs back and singing them along with us, where I moved from being amused by this to, to really being moved in my spirit, like, to tears. Because here were these people that I didn't know where they were spiritually. Again, Jewish nursing facility, I don't know where they are spiritually. But we're singing these songs, and I'm watching people sing these familiar Christmas songs. And I was just struck by the fact that though these people largely familiar with these songs, I'm assuming are unfamiliar with the Savior. And it just struck me. And honestly, most Christmases that I go through because of that experience, I'm, I'm shocked 
when I'm even in services like this, like I, I don't even assume that the, the song that we just sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is the song that we're going to consider today, that while you were singing the songs and repeating the verses that were on the screen, that you actually know this Savior that the angels sang about. That's what I pray would happen today, that maybe some of you for the first time, uh, you, would, you would connect the dots between the song that you're familiar with to the Savior that it proclaims. And for those of us that know that Savior, I hope that the simplicity, but really the significance of that song would fall afresh on you today. So Christmas playlist, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was actually written by a man named Charles Wesley that you may be familiar with. He is one of the founders, he and his brother, of the Methodist movement. So he was a pastor, a hymn writer, and wrote this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, in the mid-18th century. Um, he wrote this song, it's really interesting, on Christmas Day. Uh, he, had, he, had, he was a new believer, he hadn't even been a believer a year, uh, and he was actually going to Christmas uh, services on Christmas Day. And as he's walking through London, um, he hears the, the bells singing their song of Christmas. And as he was walking, he just thought about this declaration that's made in Luke chapter 2 by the angels declaring that the Savior has come, that he has been born. And so he picked up his pen and he wrote this now famous song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. But in Charles Wesley's mind, he was recalling those angels and that first glorious choir that sang that song that he penned his song after. If you're not familiar with Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, I wanted to have a special reader for you today read this text to you. And I actually found one last minute. Would you watch with me? Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> That's the message. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. It's that simple, right? That's the story that we're going to consider today. So as we get ready to listen to this incredible message, the messengers that herald this good news and they, the peace that they experience, I want you to notice something before we get kind of into the meat of the message that's really interesting about these shepherds. It's in verse number nine. 
Linus just read it for us, but it says this, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, that is, among the shepherds, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified, or as the old English says, and they were sore afraid. Now what he means by that is they were really frightened, which is interesting because here's a group of rough and tumble guys. Think about sheep wrangler dudes, all right? So my guess is they had big belt buckles and boots and they were tough dudes. And they were out here in the middle of the night tending to their flocks. They're fully aware of the things that could spook them, not just them, but the, the sheep, the enemies that are around. And yet in the matter of moments here, these guys are absolutely terrified. What terrifies a group of rough and tough guys like this? What could terrify them? What appears that it's the Lord showing up, turning on the lights, which is interesting, right? They're in the dark and they're not scared, The lights come on and they're scared. That doesn't happen to us naturally, does it? Right? We're typically okay in the light and we're afraid of the dark. Here they are in the dark, perfectly fine, and the lights come on and they're sore afraid. What's going on here? Well, part of the thing that we need to understand, and I think the reason that our attention is to be drawn to this, is the fact that though that's true in our world, spiritually speaking, we're okay in the dark and we're afraid in the light. And it's because of the authority that God brings. Uh, th- think about this for a moment. Um, if, if, let's say, uh, you, you're a parent here, all right? If I were to go up to one of my kids, and I've got some kids in the service today, and I said, hey, I need to talk to you after the service. Uh, my kiddos over here would say, oh, no. Dad needs to talk to me after the service. Why? Because you just assume you're in trouble. They probably are in trouble, by the way. But we'll, we'll talk after the service, right, guys? So, um, But that's what you assume. If you think about when you were in school, um, if a teacher said to you, hey, I need to talk with you after class, it was never, hey, I just want you to know, you're incredible. You have been doing so well. It's it's rarely that. Or if you get called into the principal's office, it's not because you won an award. It's typically not that, right? Um, Even as an adult, right? If, If your boss says, hey, can you hang around just five minutes after work? I need to talk with you. You're not thinking, bonus, all right. You're thinking, man, I, what, you rack your brain. It's, it's like a, as, as an adult, if you're driving around and a cop pulls out, right, behind you, how many of us, it doesn't matter what speed you're going, you drop five, you know, <laughs> and you're going, I don't know how fast I was going, but probably too fast. And uh, did I put this, is the sticker on the plate or is it still in my glove compartment? And um, is that, did I have a bad light? Whatever it is, it's just always fear, Right? Because there's some authority that is looking in on us. Now think back to the shepherds here. They're perfectly fine on their own, in their lives, in the dark, and then the lights come on and they're terrified. What is going on? What's a picture of what happens spiritually? Because spiritually speaking, we are okay in the dark. We are okay not being known, but when God moves in, it can be terrifying. The reason that it's terrifying is because of something called sin. You see, we were, we were not designed to be afraid at all. We were designed to where when God shows up, that we are in perfect peace and comfort and in the light. Adam walked that way for the beginning of his life. I mean, God, God would show up in the garden each day and they would have their morning commute to go name the animals or whatever it is that they were doing, tending to the garden. 
And when the light would dawn on that particular day and Adam would welcome his God into the garden and they would walk together, it was perfect until sin entered the world. And when sin came in, when Adam chose the created thing over the creator God, when he said, you know what, I think I would be a pretty okay God as well. When he did that and sin entered in, when the light dawned that very first day after the fall and God showed up for his morning stroll, where was Adam? He was sore afraid. (laughs) He was hiding because the lights came on and God showed up, but he knew his sin. He knew that he was going to be found out and so he hid. And there's so many stories throughout Scripture to where when God gets close, people get afraid. Even good, godly people, like there's a prophet named Isaiah. There's a book written about him in the Old Testament. And in Isaiah, this man who would stand before God's people and he would declare God's, God's words to them. And so he'd been doing that for several years. Uh, the only problem with Isaiah who stood up and declared God wor- God's words was that he hadn't encountered the living God yet. And so when he encounters the living God in Isaiah chapter 6, God gives him a vision of of showing up in God's throne room. And here's God seated, highly exalted. There are these angels that are surrounding him, and they're singing this song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And when Isaiah sees the glory of God, this guy that knows God and declares God's words to people, he sees God lifted up. And what is, what's, what's the word that comes out of his mouth? When he sees God, it, it should be the word wow, is what I would think. Like, whoa, or wow. And when he looks up, the next word that he uses is whoa. And it's not like, whoa, this is cool. It's like, whoa, I am a man of unclean lips. Do you remember? Where he just, he just starts, because he sees God, he just starts confessing his sin. He's like, there's God, and here I am, and I'm in the presence of God, like, God's here, and I'm here. This is not right. Lord, I'm a man of sinful lips, which means I have uttered things out of my mouth that I know displease you. Same thing happened to a guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, or would become one of his disciples. And for anywhere between 6 to 12 months, Peter was just kind of hanging around Jesus. Him and his brother Andrew and some other disciples, and they're just hanging around But Peter has this particular moment where although he's watched uh, Jesus perform miracles, cast out demons, um, heal people, all these things, there's this one moment in a boat where Jesus and Peter, the fishermen, are in this boat. Jesus says, I want you to throw your nets over on this side. And Peter's like, you got it all wrong, Jesus. This is not the time of day to fish. We've been fishing. This is not even where you fish. But okay, I'll, I'll just do it. And you know what happens, right? He pulls in the large haul of fish. And the boat is filling with fish. And Peter is found on his face in a boat full of fish. And he looks and he sees Jesus in this moment for the very first time. And he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, there's, there's something about, like, when, when God shows up, people are sore afraid. And it's because of where we are spiritually. Like, if if we were to say, Pastor Mark, last week we talked about the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God is with us. But I want you to think about this. If, if, if 
If you knew that God was showing up at Cornerstone Church today, would you be okay with that? Like, I hope that God is showing up today. We think that God is showing up today. But if through those double doors, I said, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord Jesus is here with us. Well, actually, somebody's coming through the door there. So anyways, and he came through. How many of you were terrified, including me, in that moment? (laughs) If God showed up in your life, would that bring peace or would that bring fear? Because when God shows up in their lives, it, it brings tremendous fear. But they don't leave us. The story doesn't leave us there. It actually leads us to a group of guys that are terrified in a field to at the end of the song as the angels close out this great message with this great hymn. They are on the move declaring this good news to the world. How do you move from fear to the peace that they experienced? Well, Luke tells us about that. And so what I want you to do is I want you to see the word that's really the word for this this message today. It's the word behold, and it might not be in your translation, but the word behold is similar to the word hark, which you might not be familiar with either. Hark, the herald angels sing, just means hark, like listen or, or look at or consider what this is. Some translations of Luke 2.10 use the word behold or listen. I want you to listen to the ISV version that says this, Luke 2.10. It says, Then the angel told them, Stop being afraid. Listen. This is the way out of your fear is to look on, to consider, to listen, to behold. So what is it that we're supposed to behold? Let me give you three things to behold today. Number one, we are to listen to the long-awaited message. Listen to the long-awaited message. And here is the message, Luke 2.10 again. Angels declare, don't be afraid. Instead, look, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This simple message, I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. Look at the three components to this message. Number one, he says, I bring you good news. That's what they bring. They bring good news. Notice what they don't bring. They're not bringing good advice. The angels don't say, hey, here's a way to maybe do it. Because advice is different than news, right? Advice, you can take it or leave it. It it really doesn't matter. It's just advice. News is different. News is declaring that something's actually happened, right? It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's just happened, And so they come and they bring good news. Some of you know that this word good news is the word gospel. There's one word in the Greek. It's the word euangelion. I want you to say that with me. Euangelion. One, two, three. Euangelion. Good news. Gospel. And it's a word that the angels are using that the shepherds would have been familiar with. It was was most commonly used as a military term, this euangelion. What happened is when when uh, kings would ride off to battle to either, you know, advance their kingdom or defend their kingdom, what they would do is they would send back a messenger back to their community to let them know, to put them on notice how things were going on the front lines. And so sometimes when the battle was being waged out there, a messenger would ride back on horse and they would come into the town and they would say, bad news. 
take up arms, men, women, and children, anybody that can fight, the battle is about to be upon us. We've lost, and the battle is coming to us. Take up arms and get ready to fight for your lives. Sometimes that's what the message would be. But other times, a messenger from the front lines would come riding back, and as he's riding into the town, as he passes through the gates, he would, he would shout out, euangelion, euangelion, which means good news. The battle's been won. We don't have to fight. Lay down your arms. The battle is won. Your lives are saved. And so what do the angels come declaring? Good news. We've got great news. Lay down your arms. There's no more fight to be had. It has been, the battle has been won for you. Euangelion, good news. And you can see why that leads to great joy, right? You don't have to fight. God is going to fight on your behalf and he's going to win the victory. And so it brings great joy. Notice when God comes, it brings great joy. He doesn't bring great judgment. I think a lot of times when people think God's on his way and God's coming, they think, "Uh uh-oh, here comes great judgment. But the good news is that when God comes, he brings tremendous joy. And he brings joy for everyone. Did you notice that? It is to all people. All of this wonderful, glorious news that leads to joy is for you and for me. And God does this wonderful demonstration around Jesus' birth as he reveals himself to different pockets of people. He, he comes first to Elizabeth, this elderly, barren woman, and he brings good news to people like her. He brings good news to teenagers like, like Mary, who, who are just God-fearing teenagers that live in some obscure part of the world in some no-name town, and he brings good news to, to her brings good news to people like these, these shepherds that are the social outcasts of their day. He, he even brings good news, if you remember, through the stars to foreigners in the East, people in the Middle East and in Asia. He, he brings good news. So even around Jesus' birth, he's demonstrating that he's a God for all peoples. This is the long-awaited message that they have. It is, it is good news for all people. But the second thing I want you to, met, to notice here that they hark, that we're to listen to, is listen to the heaven-sent messenger. Listen to the heaven-sent messenger. This is what he says in Luke 2.11. He declares that this good news is, in fact, this. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. He says he has been born today. He's born today. Which, which is not the way that you start something that's like a fairy tale, right? Some stories and some fairy tales are awesome, but they begin this way. Once upon a... Are you guys awake? Once upon a time, or one of the greatest stories of all time, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And those just tip you off. This is about to be awesome, but this did not happen. This story is supposed to tip you off when he says to them, he has been born today. It's not like, hey, there's, there's a Savior floating around out there. He goes, he, was, he actually took his first breath on planet Earth tonight. You should go and check it out. Like this was on an actual day in history. It was in an actual town, it tells us. It's in the city of David, in Bethlehem, the city of David. It's, it's a real place. 
Not only that the shepherds could go and check out, but you can even go. Some of you are going on our trip to Israel next year. You'll go and you'll actually be able to go into this town. It's a very real place where our very real Savior was born. But then he goes on and he tells us, I think the most significant about he's planted in history. It happened on a particular day in a particular town. But this one that came, notice these words that he uses. He calls him the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. Just interesting, this is the only place where those three names are back to back to back in one singular sentence in all of the Gospels. It's like God front-loaded like who Jesus is at his birth. So that we might know, and we know that when Jesus grew up, lots of people were wondering, who is he? Well, at his birth, the very first announcement, God declares to the shepherds, this is who he is. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And this is who we need, by the way. The first thing that he says is, he is the Savior. So if somebody has given you good news, and it's supposed to bring great joy to you, if it's this greatest gift that he gave us, and he says, hey, good news, the person that you need is here, and he is a savior. And you're like, well, hold on one second. That implies that I need to be saved. <laughs> Are you telling me that I need to be saved? Yes. That's exactly, it, it's, I don't know if you've ever received a gift that has offended you, but I think sometimes this gift is offensive. It's like uh, if my kids were to, and please don't do this, just because I made fun of you in the service already, but um, if my kids were to get me like hair dye cream, okay? I know it's a little gray, and I'm just going to go with a little right now, but it's getting gray. The pictures are showing me this. But like if I open that up, I'd be like, oh, you little jerk. Thanks so much, you know? <laughs> this is a gift that is meant to offend. Or if somebody got you a big old jug of breath mints or a book on anger management, which I might need, you know, something like that. You open this gift up and you're like, oh my goodness, this is clearly revealing a problem that I have. That's what the gift of Jesus is supposed to reveal. Oh my goodness, there's a problem that I have. The problem is, is that I'm lost, I'm stuck, I'm dead, and I need a savior. That's our greatest problem, is that we need a savior. We need to be saved. God didn't send professor. He didn't send a politician. Thank goodness. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't send a, a, a ruler of any sort that the earth would look on because we didn't need knowledge. We didn't need this political figure. We, we just need to be saved from our sins. And so he says, I sent you a savior. I hope that you're excited about this gift. We sent you the Messiah, which is his second name that he uses here, which simply means the anointed one. It's this long-promised one. God has been attempting to redeem humanity from the moment that they fell in that garden, from the moment that they had that first conversation, Adam and God, while he was hiding. God has been trying to find man and find a way for man to be with God again. That's what the Messiah is. And then he calls him Lord. Just to, not to make light of that, but what he's saying is, is that he's, he's God. Like, he's the Savior, he's the one that's long been promised, and he's, he's just God. He is boots on the ground, God in the flesh that has showed up for you, and this is the message from the messenger. But then I want you to see this final piece here, the last thing that we are supposed to hark or to listen to when it comes to this message. Number three, 
We need to listen to the God-glorifying peace. Because this message comes, this messenger shares this good news with us. It leads to great joy. And what ends up happening is these shepherds that are filled with fear end up going out with peace. And the, the song really leads us there. Because here's what ends up happening. There ends up being, in verse 13, there is suddenly an angel army. The vast hosts of others, the armies of heaven, end up praising God, verse 13, and they sing this song, verse 14. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to, who, to those with whom God is pleased. So they lead with this song. They sing this song. And the shepherds are going to leave with this song in their heart. Boldly, no longer afraid, leaving with this. So two things I want you to notice in this song. The first thing is that they say, the angels declare, glory to God in highest heaven. What they're saying is God, God deserves to be praised. To the highest heaven just means the expanse of everything that exists should be filled with the praise of the glory of God. Like he's the only one that deserves that type of praise. That's how big he is and that's, that, that's what he honestly deserves. And so they're saying glory to God in highest praise from the expanse of the earth and the universe to the highest heaven. God's name should be praised in all of those places. That's what they say. But then where that leads is he says glory to God in the highest but then one of the greatest ways that God is glorified, that people look to him and say, you are incredible, is the second part of that where he says, or they sing, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. God should be glorified because God brings peace to the earth. God's peace goes out to all the earth. But then I want you to notice this at the end of verse 14. God's peace goes out and it's available to all but then he, he just kind of adds this in there. And he says, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. There's a particular group of people that God is pleased with. My question for you is, are you a part of that group? Like if I were to ask you the question, is God pleased with you? What would be your answer? Somebody, somebody had the audacity <laughs> in the first service to say, to answer it, and they said, I hope so, which I think that is awesome to be able to really wrestle through that question. And I genuinely want you to do that right now. You don't have to answer out loud, but are you a part of a group of people that God is pleased with? Is God pleased with you? And I want you to think about that for a second. How or can you know whether or not God is pleased with you? Wouldn't that be good news? T to know that if God showed up and he came through those doors and he said, all right, I'm, 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 I'm going out and I'm taking a group of people with me, but it's only those that, are, that I'm pleased with. Wouldn't you want to know that you're a part of that group? That the God of the universe, the creator, he's pleased with you? How, how do you know whether or not he's pleased with you? Well, Romans 5 verse 1 tells us how you and I can experience peace with God and therefore, according to the angels, God's peace is available and goes out to those that he is pleased with. Listen to Romans 5.1. This is how we're going to close our service. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we'll come back to that, 
we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Do you see? Peace is available to us because of what Jesus has done for us. That peace is possible to every single one of us because of what Jesus has done. But what's our way to experience peace? How do we know that we have that peace and therefore God is pleased with us? Well, the only thing that Romans 5.1 tells us that we contribute to this peace, this peace that pleases God, is in the first part where it says this again. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, notice these two words, by faith. By faith. That's the only way that you and I can experience the peace of God is by faith. It's the same type of faith, and it looks a little bit different, that the shepherds experienced. Somehow, some way, in that moment, as God shows up on the scene and his messengers show up with this incredible message, they believe it. They don't understand it. I'm sure that they didn't understand the fullness of it, but they believed it. And by faith, they go and they rush to meet the baby. And they see it's exactly what God said it was going to be. And then they go out. Next week, we'll continue the message. They go out, and they just can't help but tell everyone. They gab to everyone that they can about the fact that the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord is here. But by faith, they did it. And by faith, that's how you experience peace and you please God. It's by trusting in him as Savior, as Messiah, as Lord. Have you done that? You know, you demonstrated faith today when you came into this service. And my guess is, is that you walked in, whether you were on time or you were like the rest of everyone else that came into this service, and you found your way to a seat. And when you came up to one of these gray chairs in our auditorium, you put your full weight into that chair, most likely, right? I hope that you didn't come in and say, oh, Cornerstone, those dirty, rotten crooks, sometimes they put three legs on these chairs, and so you just kind of, you know, went down into it. My guess is, is you went full on, full weight, put your weight on that seat, and now you are enjoying the posture of faith in the seat that you're in. Do you feel the weight being given to that? You see, in in a very same way, in in a spiritual sense, every single one of us, we are putting the full weight of our very lives on some, someone or something to save us. Every one of us. And the question is just, who are you trusting your life with? Is, is your full weight being put on something that you've accomplished or something that you intend to accomplish, some good work that you've done, some person that is going to save you? Or are you putting the full weight of your very life and your eternity in the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the Lord Jesus? Friends, that's how you experience peace. Those are the type of people that if God were to come into this room and he were to look at where your heart rests, he would say, I am so pleased with you. By faith. Have you done that? I'm going to pray for those of you that are in this room. And I know that there are probably many that are in this room that haven't quite put your full weight 
and trust in the Lord Jesus. And for those of you that have done that, would you just be reminded of the, the simple but significant message of the fact that good news has come in the form of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and we get to experience peace. We get to walk in a way that pleases God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as to close us in a time of prayer? Father, we come to you now and we, we just ask that you would you would make yourself known, God, that, that you, if we would be so bold as to ask that, God, that you might show up in this moment. And God, as you show up, and I know that there would be people that as you come in this moment and as they kind of sit in where they are in life and what they've done, there would be people here that would be terrified, that would be sore afraid. But God, thank you that as you come, you bring with you good news. And that good news comes with great joy, with great peace, because you have accomplished what we could not accomplish on our own. You paid the penalty for our sin. You died the death that we deserve to die so that we can fully live in you both now and forever. And so for, for folks that are here that are embracing that good news for the very first time, we, Lord, we pray for them. We lift them up. We pray that your good news, your great joy, and your tremendous peace would fill their lives. And God, for those of us that we, we know it, God, would you help us to just really know it this week? to feel the weight of that, to walk in light of the peace that we have as people that please you. God, we just thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for the many places that you are scattering us throughout our week. And we think about so many people that are just surrounded by the tremendous message that is Christmas. God, just like me in that nursing home many years ago, would you open up people's eyes to the truth that is right before them and even filling their ears to Jesus the Messiah? We ask that you do that in Jesus' name.